0: Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, life As a dot dot. And basically it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I wanna get it in front of people. I wanna get it in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they wanna do with their lives. And I think this platform, you No know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity to kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. I've been around long enough to know that there are people on this planet that can say all the right things and lead you to believe one thing or another. Now, there's also this other group of people who couldn't be more different. I'm referring to those who combine words with definitive action and follow through. I've also been incredibly fortunate to have met a ton of these doers on this program. And today's episode represents yet another example of someone who truly walks the walk when it comes to aligning with a particular cause and action. Meet Tom Jackson. He's the founder of a company on a mission to tackle the ocean plastics pollution problem. And you're going to hear all about how he's attempting to do this while operating on remote Indonesian island. You'll also hear about how his years of traversing the globe aboard ships influenced his current initiatives. The chat is rich with detail and insight, and anyone with an interest in matters of sustainability, entrepreneurship, and hope for a better world will appreciate this episode. So, let me more formally introduce them to you, and we can launch into things. Tom Jackson is the founder of Honest Ocean, a company on a mission to supply brands and manufacturers with ocean-saved recycled plastic while empowering local communities and families through unique community engagement programs. Now, with a background in manufacturing, Tom has always been interested in the sourcing and collection of materials that went into making products. Combined with spending the last 10 years of his life on the ocean, seeing the direct impact of the plastic pollution problem he knew he wanted to see a change. This interest led Tom to look into how he could help create a sustainable waste management supply chain across Indonesia. And with that, Honest Ocean was born. Now, in recognition that certain areas are more adversely affected by this plastic waste problem than others, this put him on that path to addressing this problem within Indonesia which by all accounts has more or less allowed itself to become a willing plastic dumping ground for many Western and Asian nations for the past 20 years. As such, Tom and his team have concentrated on creating a closed-loop 360 plastic supply chain, turning this plastic waste into a commodity, whilst also educating and empowering local communities to help in the fight against ocean plastic waste. So, with all of this noted, here is my conversation with Tom Jackson. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Tom?
1: I'm great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, likewise. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, you know diving into your work and what you're you're all about in your company, Honest Ocean. I mean, anytime I get to hear from individuals in the environmental space, it, it's it's always thrilling because. Certainly, that's an area that we need to improve upon. And uh, there's a lot of innovation going on there. And I think uh, what you guys are doing with Honest Ocean certainly represents that. So,
1: yeah, really excited for it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're trying to do our, trying to do our bit, get things moving. So, I, I appreciate that. That's very good yeah. to say.
0: All right. Well, I do have the first segment lined up. But it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition from Wikipedia that relates to, to what the guest is all about. And I went with one that maybe people aren't exactly familiar with. And to be honest, I wasn't either, really. So I'm going to read it off. It's resource recovery. And it is a bit wordy. So hopefully, I'm not going to stumble through it too much. But uh, we'll, we'll give it a go. And then afterwards, maybe you could comment. Does it sound okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, so here we go. Resource recovery. Resource recovery is the systematic diversion of waste which was intended for disposal for a specific next use. It is the processing of recyclables to extract or recover materials and resources or convert to energy. These activities are performed at a resource recovery facility. Resource recovery is not only environmentally important, but it is also cost effective. It decreases the amount of waste for disposal, saves space in landfills, and conserves natural resources.
1: I love it. I think that's what exactly everything should be around. Uh, I I kind of like the way that they structured the reading of that, not just talking about it in terms of we should do it, but financially it just makes sense.
0: Mm. Yeah. Was there anything else that you'd like to to emphasize or any other things that stood out in it or even de-emphasized? I mean, all of
1: it. It's it's kind of how I've I've based uh, what we're doing on around that. So, yeah. Okay. All,
0: all right. Well, speaking of what you're involved in, maybe maybe you could share with listeners, you know, what what Honest Ocean is all about and how it relates up to this definition.
1: Absolutely, Chris. I love to. So Honest Ocean uh, micro-manages supply chains. So what we do is the the most important thing, and you know, our world uh, is the impact of what happens, and that always comes at the source. Things that need the biggest amount of change, which is the locals, the the poorer communities that are usually collecting plastic. So we will work from the source through each link of the supply chain to make sure all of the material or as much as we can get our hands on can go back into the recycling market and not only recyclables but all types of waste we try to plan for. So it's really preventing plastic getting in the ocean and in some projects that we run is retrieving it from mangroves or the ocean itself. So it's a a layered business model from collection and impact, but also we help brands with the application need for plastics, and we link them with our network and really allow the scale of uh, the recycling market to come through many, many partnerships.
0: And you're based within Indonesia as well, right?
1: Yeah. Indonesia's home these days. So I've been here for nearly three years, really enjoyed being here, originally from the UK. So can't quite make it back for weekends, but uh, I go home <laughs> sort of once a year or so and generally traveling across Southeast Asia for, for business. So I'm on the island of Lombok, which is one island east of Bali. And then west of that is kind of where all our material goes to. So you've got you know over 2000 islands in Indonesia and we've got a lot of work to do. So we're trying to work with the closest island's to the mainland now and then we'll just keep progressing to hard to reach locations
0: great yeah i think that adds clarity in addition to what i kind of read off on the top with what you're involved in maybe to add even another degree or another layer of clarity to all of this i have this other segment a day in the life and it is as it sounds like i'd love to hear what you're involved in on a day-to-day or maybe a week-to-week sort of basis
1: absolutely and uh, some of the, some of my friends here call me the the digital trash man because They're like, we all see you working on a laptop. He's like, yeah, that's that's most of it, you know, emails and all that comes from it. But I generally kick off the work day around ten, and I'll finish at about eight or nine PM. So yeah, typical is is um, regrouping with the team, uh, making sure that we're all all connected and and working well, and putting out any fires. For me, I work in a two hour breakdown really well, so. Start you know I'll start um finishing midday for for forty minutes and then I'll clock back in for a few more hours and I'll generally break that up into four segments in a day and that can be anything from dealing with supplier contracts through to impact partnerships with customers through to expanding team operations, yeah, material quality issues, which honestly, Chris, there are a lot of because you're taking material out of the environment but yeah, that's kind of how I structure it in terms of work and lifestyle balance.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of it has to do with like building. You'd mentioned already you've been well, you've been based within Indonesia for a few years now, two or three years. So I'm imagining the business itself is is around that stage. You know, it's still fairly new, so it's probably building a lot of the relationships and educating, educating, educating. Would that be an yeah accurate assumption?
1: Absolutely, from start to finish, is you know it's a roller coaster as as most startups, and then you've got a a recycling market which the price point generally changes every thirty days for oh, material wow. trading and selling. So you're trying to create consistency in a in a startup, and <laughs> it's one thing that you're not getting, and it's it's really frustrating, and yeah, you know it's stressful um, too. I bet. Oh uh, yeah, and we're you know we're pivoting as a business. Like, we've got a small team that's that's kind of easy to do, but. You know, one month is this, one month's the other, and we're really trying to trying to create that consistency there. But it's growing; you get really excited. You know, big orders come through, and and then things drop off. The market dies, like it has done since pretty much for us anyway since August last year. So you're you're trying to push aggressive growth, and then you're getting the other extreme of that. And it's you know you're kind of like a car running out of petrol. You're trying to make it to the next petrol station. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 heads above water, we're getting there. And yeah, it's the way life should be exciting.
0: So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Most of your like suppliers and and clients and whatnot and customers, are they based within Indonesia itself or are they outside of the region or
1: Yeah, actually we would love to find more in Southeast Asia. Where that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to send material less by sea and into other locations, but generally Europe has had a really big influx around the new legislation for using recycled plastic content. So that's been a big push of customer base. A few, uh, Australia and, and um, Singapore or Southeast Asia in general, but most of it is is Europe for manufacturing in Europe, which again, we try and work with brands who are big enough that are producing in, for instance, China or local markets here, that we can reduce the footprint of that. But yeah, that that's the big, big growth for the next few years is kind of domestic or, or close, close APAC region to us.
0: Are the awareness levels the same there as what they're at within other
1: markets, you'd say? Or... As in Indonesia and yeah, as here. in
0: Indonesia and, and and the need for you know, the type of work and the type of you know business that you're operating.
1: Yeah, two part answer to that. Whereas for for working with customers here, they generally follow what the West does in terms of trends. So, well, that's what I've noticed anyway, personally. So, I will generally get an influx, but that comes from either Western-owned brands that are manufacturing in Indonesia, China, Thailand, Thailand. China, Vietnam, but then accepted on the ground, you know, the recycling private sector has always been poorer communities working, collecting, and then creating that step. But the supply chain has the recycled supply chain has nine steps in it, nine links where people have to get paid. So you've got three logistics steps in there, and you then you've got people taking that material, dropping it to waste banks, waste banks. Put on a truck uh, to an aggregator, which is separating those plastics and cleaning them. Recycler logistics to customer. So it's always kind of been accepted on the ground from from that side of things. But we're trying to reduce the links because virgin new plastic. You know, at some points last year it was four hundred dollars cheaper a ton. Oh wow! Financial situation of the world. Everyone went back to new plastics. Who were trying to squeeze their margin. And a very few select amount of customers really were trying to stick to their recycled goals, so in terms of the guys on the ground doing it here, yeah, that's kind of always been the way of that we're just trying to we're trying to make it more streamlined trying to disrupt yeah, yeah, and they can get more money on the source because they're the most important, they're the ones picking it up mm-hmm. and then being able to to process that and get that to customers' door, which is you know a sexy offering compared to compared to you know the other. Uh, the new plastic, which is the real, real headache in most of our lives. I get
0: this other segment here, a pathways one, and I'd like to return to you for a second here. In researching for this talk, you know, I I see you've had some rather interesting professional experiences along the way leading up to Honest Ocean. You know, you've worked within strategic planning, worked for an e-commerce company, you picked up skills and knowledge in logistics and manufacturing yourself, and even sailed the seas as part of a yacht crew. Looking at this, from above, you can kind of see how all these dots connect up to what you're doing right now. But all the same, I think it'd be fascinating to hear for listeners, like your version of how all of this came together. And
1: Yeah, I kind of see how those link up as well, Chris, because yeah, it's kind of been, it's been a journey. It's been a, a really interesting one. So for six, seven years, I worked as as yacht crew, you know, early 20s. Uh, I wanted to travel the world and and get paid to do that. So I found myself in the yachting industry after being a sailing instructor in France, and then I'd do that in the summer and winter. Winter of snowboard instructing in Canada, uh, in America, and, and Europe as well. And then, yeah, progressed onto the yachts. Did that, became a better operator in terms of efficiency with time, which is really what yachting working with. Close people teaches you, um, you, you know, you're living with 40 people on a boat, which are from all over the world. So you learn partnerships with people and how to get on with others uh, in tight spaces. So it's kind of always every every link of the chain and all parts of life, you kind of you kind of learn. Um, so that was really important for my growth there. And then, you know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create something. I'm naturally creative more than sort of tool based or. A lot of my team say that, that, you know, I'll do the systems, you you come up with the ideas. So I, I was always very passionate about creating something from nothing. And through the yachting, I went across Southeast Asia, a lot of South Pacific, specifically Fiji, Tonga, uh, New Zealand, and some of the re- remote parts of French Polynesia, and there was plastic waste everywhere. And in those six years, I saw it accumulate really quickly, even to the point where we were traveling between Fiji and New Zealand, and we could see uh, you know, a football field or more of waste being brought there by currents together. And we nearly went through it, which then created problems for the propellers and things like that as well as the water suction into the boat. So it was really interesting. When was that? That was 2016, uh, from 2011 to 16 there. Uh, and yeah, that's when I knew that this was not normal. Not many people knew about it. And I really wanted to get ahead of the curve. And that was kind of that was in, in my brain for a while. But actually, it really came from I left that and I started with uh, an e-commerce business selling pharmaceutical supplements, vegan supplements on Amazon, which was great. But I, I quickly found that wasn't my passion. So I went to our manufacturer and a lot of our subscribers and also just general customers that were that were selling for us on Amazon wanted an eco option you know it was the boom of plastic having a, a really bad name and we spoke to our manufacturers and said Look, we need an eco option for this everyone's asking for it and they're like we, we don't have one we don't know of one uh, and I said if I go and find it would you guys be interested in purchasing it a social and environmental positive material they said yes and then three weeks later I I booked a flight to Indonesia which I'd never been to before which was the first year of covid so it was a little risky and then yeah landed did the 12 days in the hotel uh, in jakarta and then from there I went and spoke to every single recycler in indonesia for 3 months and I looked at every problem they had stayed in some pretty rubbish hotels and just moved around moved around indonesia and uh, you know I'm a big surfing fan and so, you know, in Indonesia, moving there, I didn't have to give it much thought. Of course, Bali, all the rage, but I'd never been. And yeah, that was it. That was really just trying to solve problems for a local market. And I'm sure we'll come to the question later. I'm very much 100% or nothing. It's generally how I operate. So getting on a plane and just, just rolling with it is never feels too risky from my side.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of picking up on that, just... The way you laid it out there, like a lot of passion in behind, passion and belief in in what you're doing and conviction. And certainly that's what you need, right? Like there's, you need healthy amounts of that in any startup, in any sort of enterprise, no doubt. And to be aligning with with a mission as worthy as the one that you're part of. I mean, I can see how, you know, it it would make it a little bit easier at times. I'm sure there's still some challenging moments along the way, but like when you have that to kind of push you through some of those challenging times, I'm sure it helps.
1: Yeah, you got to be rigorous as well. So yeah, for sure, Chris.
0: Well, we can skip on over into this other segment of Q&A discovery and kind of continue this back and forth. And I see on the Honest Ocean website, a tagline which states, we're not just a business, we're a movement. Talk to me about that sentiment a little bit, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We see ourselves as as a network. So there are people doing great stuff on the ground here that need to be brought together. They need to be brought under wings and they need to help the growth of what they're doing and they need to create better revenue from that. So being able to collaborate and partnerships with other people, especially locals for us here in Indonesia, is is the driving force for everything we do. And if these guys are doing well, it means more plastics getting into the recycling market, which means it's better for them. It's better for us. We operate as their sales channel so we increase their collection network with helping divert funds to them to grow then we take the material from them link them with the recycler uh, and then our customers on the other side of that so it's that stepping stone approach which mm. is creating a massive network of people doing really cool stuff and being able to have the funds to to grow it and you know i looked at bringing people on with with salaries who were collecting when I first got here. But I quickly found out that if you don't have the right people around that, you're really going to struggle to grow or create good foundations. So then I went to the people who were already taking initiative and their small homes to do things or had that mindset that is the hardest part of, of working on the ground here. And these guys were doing that. And, you know, I went to a few of them. The first few I went to, I went, Guys, show me. Is there any land around here we can look at renting? Like, what would what would a scalable model look like to you? In very bad Bahasa, uh, it's a learning process for the language here. But yeah, that's really what we looked at. And they sent me what they wanted to do. We looked at if it was feasible. And then since there, we've we've used that model for the last three years to go in, go and speak to them and and just look at the feasibility like w- what's important how can you how can you work and that's the real reason why we use that tagline and the people who are collecting the waste are generally people who know the village and have good reputation with people there because people will walk past them drop the waste off get a bit of cash for it so they are already in a controlled situation so that rivalry and community base that we kind of structure that wording around it's a really important part of of what we do
0: yeah i can see that a couple other things that stood out when i was just listening to you speak and explain all that is that how you came up with this business model you know i think a lot of times people might assume like when you're, you're starting a business or you have an idea of, okay i want to solve this problem well i need to have this model i need to have it all figured out right from the get-go And more times than not, people find out what their model is going to be by doing what you just explained. You're you're speaking to people, you're getting out, you're finding the pain points, you're finding out the true intricacies and details of some of these problems. And that allows you to kind of formulate and strategically build, you know, along the way. I'm sure you're pivoting along the way in in terms of all of this as well. Would that be an accurate assumption?
1: 100%. And what I've learned through this and and projects beforehand is planning gets in the way of progress. And you know, as humans, what we can do is we can we can sit there and come up with ideas and start you know trying to restructure a business model. But actually, what we're doing is we're creating doubt in our own demise, really. So what you've got to do is just go have a three step plan which are simple, which are achievable, and even on those three steps, stuff will probably change and If you speak to anyone who started a business and you started at a. And you got to Z? Was it a straight line? The answer is nine times out of ten, no. So you've got to you've got to allow for deviation.
0: All right. Well, maybe we could hear about some success stories related to your your business and your work.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of negatives, so it'd be nice to touch on the pros. Being able to find trusted partners is a big one for us. We've got a local recycler here who is a big dog in the world of recycling. Big factory, nine hundred staff. And they really looked after us in terms of taking on our small volumes as we've grown and really being open to that. You know, these guys do a lot of business and we, we really wanted to work with them. They look after their team really well and we wanted to be a part of that. Like I said, when I went around Indonesia and looked at 45 different recyclers, those were the ones that stuck out. They were doing things right. And we wanted to, we wanted to go on that journey. So getting them in as a partner was really big. Second one being, we found a fantastic auditing company, which is called Ocean Cycle. Two guys from the US started it, but we very much work with our hands on team here in Indonesia. Their outlook and goals are completely uh, different to how people are in this space, which is generally run by the top dogs and other people follow usually what they say. Whereas Ocean Cycle really creates their own custom model for auditing and allows us to grow our supply chain with confidence, because we know when they sign it off, we know it's you know quality audit that you can get uh, for certif- certification. So yeah, that was a big win for us. And being able to attract the team that we've got is the biggest one. So we obviously working in sustainability, specifically ocean recovery of ways, you get people that really want to make change. And it took us 18 months we went in the wrong direction for 18 months. So being able to bring in the, the, the marketing guys, operations guys, scalability, business uh, development guys, you know, that has been key to us. And, you know, we're in the age of AI and things like that, which isn't a thing in recycling yet. So we've been able to pivot with people in the mid to late thirties who are already aware of that. I'm 35 myself. So these guys are you sort of generationally behind, but Technology ahead of me, so being able to lean on that's been massive. These guys are passionate; they work way harder than they should for not enough money. And yeah, it's it's really being able to have people around you that can can lift up the business is 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 everything, you know. And that's where we are. We wouldn't be there without them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you credit a lot of that to the buy-in, just in the cause. You would say, I think you were alluding to that,
1: but that's you can be in a logistics and operations business anywhere. But when you go and visit the waste banks and seeing how another house has been built or 25 more children went to school because of that waste bank got scaled, that's that's really cool. And we fly people from all over. We did the last one was sort of mid last year. People are working in South Africa for us, Europe, Australia, Bali, and we bring everyone together and, and we we go through that so everyone can understand the importance of what they're doing. Because obviously, we're working through laptops, it gets forgotten at some point, gratitude goes missing. And so, yeah, to bring everyone together to, to rehome in on that goal together, there's, there's nothing that really beats that in terms of a working team environment.
0: Also another point I'd like to, to ask here, or another thing to inquire about, is like the ecosystem in and around Southeast Asia when it comes to, you know, companies such as yours, I'd imagine that that it's also starting to grow a little bit. Like a lot of other places, I would assume. It, would that be accurate or is that I think that's
1: a hundred percent accurate. We're seeing change through technology and younger people wanting to create the change, but we're seeing the split between technology as well. So we've got younger people wanting to do things, even people who are 14, 15, who are between school, but they've learned in school about this is not good. Whereas, for instance, you know, their parents are still burning plastic out of their front of their house to get rid of it. And they're trying to tell their parents, that's not right. So you've got the ecosystem of change and growth coming. It's being able to give them the tools to do that. If you can do that, and they're motivated, you're 50% of the way there, probably more. So yeah, I think you're completely right with the ecosystem change, but the growth there too. And you know, it, you've always been able to make money out of it, at least for the last 30, 30 years for material. So the change in the mindset there is is really important. And it you know, it's how you can scale business as an individual here. It's a whether it's waste or, or whether you're in crypto. You know, money's is money's is money. And for these guys on the ground, we can we can be that for them. And a lot of actually the guys in Indonesia come through our Instagram and just send us a DM and be like, I'm in this island. And then we have a look at it and we realize how far away it is. And we're like, great, let's let's see how we can make that work. So yeah, ecosystem growing at a good rate. We got one more question in this segment here. And it's one of my favorite ones to
0: ask, to be honest. You know, the idea of your work, Impacting you, that career rub off or business sort of like rub off on onto your own life, your own way of interpreting the world and whatnot. You know, being attached to a mission such as yours, I can see how levels of fulfillment you know at times could be through the roof. But all the same, I, I'd love to hear like what the work you're involved in over these last few years has come to mean to you. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it is kind of everything at this point. You start with an idea and where you want to go with it, and it creeps into every part of you know what you do and you meet people and they ask what you do but you actually you know when you explain it to people you actually realize it's pretty much everything you do and then <laughs> um you work through you know the parts of that that it's too much and that you have to kind of scale it back a little bit and you know you need other hobbies and stuff it's important but yeah to me personally like i i love every part of it even the bad days are, are better than working nine to five. Uh, Other companies that I worked for before, and but you've got to have that awareness of it, and you know you you can have three really bad months of of revenue, and then you can go and see some of some of your favorite waste banks and try and relate to to that, and just go back in time with them, as it very much feels like you do when you go into some of these villages. So yeah, yeah, every every part of it's enjoyable. The learning. Pain of it <laughs> it's a different side of it, but it is affected every every part of uh, who I am and I can't see myself going away from it I can just see myself getting embedded into it differently and personally for me it will go from from plastic recycling in five years I'll be deeply emerged into the energy world through sustainability and specifically hydrogen but that's a uh, that's a uh, call cool for another day and it's it's every part of what I do now. Yeah, I can see that, and I'm kind of picking up that vibe that it's all
0: encompassing for you. And uh, you know, and like also one of the things that strikes me is that like what you are doing is very physical in nature. Like you're you're actually taking things out of the environment that are damaging and harmful, and and finding a way to to spin that into a positive. You know, and in so many different respects. So like, yeah, I, I can definitely see how that, that fulfillment would be there. And and you'd mentioned like learning, like that can be a challenge at times, I'm sure. But the deeper you get into it, it gives you new insights and allows you to kind of take an idea further or twist it off into a different direction that could create a different level of impact. So yeah, I I definitely get all that. I can see it for sure. Well, we've got this other segment here, a water cooler story segment. And this one here, I just asked guests to indulge listeners with a story related to their work. So I'm really eager to hear what you have for us today, Tom.
1: Okay, water cooler story. So I guess for me the success story from from us personally it would be working with someone who started at 14 years old who wanted to change an area in their region heavily polluted. Now we we fast forward; they're 18. They've started their own waste bank. They've uh, allowed eight other people to because they've shown instead of talk about it, which in life is very important and. He's now on his way to building his own recycling center, which is such a cool story. And that one specifically to this, I'm sure I've got a few others in different sectors, but it just shows with the mindset what you can do. They're going to literally change what they're doing. The the guy works seven days a week on this, and he saved up all his money to fly to Jakarta to go to a show, to get the funds to be able to buy machinery. So yeah, it's really cool, really cool story on, on what he's doing. And he's leading the way. Sorry to interrupt. Was that somebody
0: that you'd encountered when, when he was that young, that he kind of caught wind of what you guys were yeah, doing? Yeah,
1: we, I came to his village and gave a banner and some t-shirts out of what I wanted to achieve. And I came back the next year. And same again, the kid was very excited. Uh, his name is Puti. That was it, really. Every year since there was a year I didn't get there. And that changed a lot. I think he it went, it went from 15 to 16, which is a big one. He's an incredible force now. And uh, we now can send people to him. We need to be a little bit bigger. We're still pretty small as an operation. When we get bigger, he will run all our education processes for us, which is great. He's going to fully be a consultant for Indonesia uh, one day, which is heavily needed because not many things are happening in the government with waste management. So yeah, he's going to do some really powerful stuff
0: there wow that is a cool story you know just to see that 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 level of impact that you can have in ways that you probably never envisioned right you certainly you had an aim if you're going into that village and you you know you want to spread awareness for for your cause and and whatnot but how can anyone foresee you know somebody being inspired to the point at which that individual was and you know taking it where he he has yeah
1: unbelievable you, you just don't know when it's going to come, which is exciting, right? I think what I did was I had a hat on. I had I was wearing a hat. I gave it to him. He kept the hat, and he still has it. So that kind of started, which was cool. But yeah, seeing what you can do with someone that age when everyone else is doing something differently. And you know kids are asking why the whole time, which is so cool. I don't know where we lose that, but we lose it at some point. Now, 40, 50, 60-year-olds are going to... Go, driving three hours to go and see his waste bank to get to get the knowledge from it. Yeah, that's that's everything to me. That's that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. We do have one last segment here, a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future. And I mean, it's clear to see that awareness levels for sustainability issues are probably on the rise, like globally speaking, at least. People understand that we need to change our ways. But that being said, you know, you being on the front lines, and you just already mentioned this already, like. Governments are not always buying into this. There's several reasons for this, perhaps. But I, I, I'd be curious about like what your levels of optimism are in terms of us getting things right.
1: Yeah, Chris, this is, this is my favorite question. I'm, I'm going to have to try and not go on for too long about it. But traditionally, people have relied on governments to help them enroll in projects and create the landscape for them. And if you asked me a year ago or even two years ago, I would have been quite bleak about the answer I'm not very positive. But I've seen so many things now which are privately run and scaling really quickly, um, which for instance, Precious Plastics are one of them, which is an NGO, which you can go onto Google Maps now and find out people using their machinery and growing that way. But the future is really going to speed up with waste management and people are now working out how much money can be made from this but a number of things have to line up to be really important for that to work one of them being technology the investments in machinery machinery learning but also the processes of what's happening the market so customers have to be willing to take the material knowing it's going to be worse and that's now coming through esg goals and and supply chain management goals and the third one being that plastic is energy, it's come from oil, oil is, goes into energy. So all of that can go back into energy. So we're at a really crucial point of being able to scale it through technology, but being able to use it in a useful way. So I'll give you an example, Chris, mechanical recycling, which is what we generally do now and most recyclers do, which is stuff comes in, it gets sorted on a conveyor belt, it goes into shredding, washing, extruded into, into pellets sold to manufacturers. Now that's great, but that's not effective. For 100 tonnes of waste we process, we get 10 tonnes of waste. It's a lot. And that we're just talking about plastic bottles right now, which are highly recyclable. We're not even talking about kind of the aluminium sachets, you get chocolate bars in, they've got the aluminium inside, plastic outside. Since the beginning of time, most you know not not more than one percent of these plastics have been recycled so it's about taking all of that and turning that into energy energy is really expensive now which is in one way it's great that it's gone up because people are looking at alternatives forms of that so we're looking at recovering everything we put out in the environment from electrical waste to environmental waste ending up there Putting that back into either an oil format through paralysis, so turning that back into crude oil and then back into plastic, or it's going to be into energy storage and scaling through enhancing energy. And you know, the next 10 years, that's massively going to change with the advancements of, of technology. So we're we're gonna we wanna be a big front runner for that. And that's why we work with waste banks to help them create that network, grow that. And then we can be the guys who dictate where that energy, what, what that goes into. That's really important because for a small business that has really ambitious parts of scale, you can actually, it's not, you're not being pulled by, you know, oil, big oil corps or big plastic corporations. You're creating a commodity which had no value before. It was a non-recyclable commodity. Now, now you've been able to put that into to oil or building material or um burning burning that for concretes even a solution is not my favorite but it is one just the energy enhancement that comes from plastic back into another form is going to be really exciting and and looking forward I I can't wait to see where that goes
0: yeah yeah 100% i mean it strikes me as like a lot of this still being in a state of flux, right? Like things are still developing. Some things are maybe reaching a point where we can sort of entertain some of these notions of what you're just speaking of, while others we might have to wait a little bit longer. But all the same, this notion of optimism. And and quite frankly, I wasn't necessarily expecting that because a lot of this conversation when it comes to sustainability still is a lot of doom and gloom. So It is refreshing and it's nice. And these conversations are needed because, you know, (laughs) I think we, we need that optimism. We need to to, to, to find things to cling to when it comes to, you know, hope towards turning things around before it's too late.
1: Yeah. hundred percent, Chris. And, you know, there is uh, so much negativity, which you can get kind of squandered with and yet 8 million tons entering the oceans every year still. Right. So it's not all, it's not all good solutions and the harvesting of plastic out of the environment is you know, it's gonna be a 15-year at least process to do that, because that's manual work, you know, unless you got drone bots picking picking all that kind of waste up, then yeah, maybe that will happen. But at the moment it's manually picking it up. It's fishermen boats out there. So yeah, it's gonna take a number of years. And if we get to 25 years and we we haven't reversed what we've done to the ocean, or there's not something we can put in the ocean to break that down, then we are going to we are going to be in a in a really big problem it's already it's already unthinkable to 50 years ago for people but we, we're dealing with it
0: well that's half of it you know is recognition of the problem and then hopefully you know we can take these steps to uh, to start rectifying it so Maybe on that note, closing things off with that degree of optimism might be a nice point to to draw things to an end here. But I've got to say, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've really enjoyed the conversation. I know listeners are going
1: to too. so thanks for uh, taking some time. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for your questions. Really loved it. Appreciate your time.
0: Now, for those interested in learning more about Tom and his work, you can do so via Honest Ocean. You can also find him on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. And for reference, all this information, including links, will be in the show notes. And hey, if you like today's show, please be sure to share and tell a friend. You can also show further support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you access your podcast. And then lastly, head on over to YouTube off the top. I did mention we have that channel over there. And check out video highlights from the audio conversation. And if you do make it over there, I would absolutely love, love, love that like or subscribe. And don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.